Hello and welcome to the History of Fun, where we explore the hidden backstories behind the things you love to do. My name is Russ Frushchik, and today I'm joined by Allegra Frank. Hello, Allegra. Hi. And Christopher Plant, our special expert for the day, Chris Plant, who has brought quite an impactful topic for us. Mm. I, I always come with an elevator pitch. Are you ready for this week's? Yeah. Here no one does it better than you, Chris Plant. <laughs> 15 years of video game development, multiple reboots, four studios, tens of millions of dollars of personal funds, not publisher funds, and presumably a mountain, a full mountain of breakfast tacos, because the story takes place not too far from me in the beautiful state of Texas. Today, I am here to tell you the history of Duke Nukem Forever. Oh, yeah. I don't know what his tagline is, but if, if I knew his tagline, I would have put it right it's there. It's the same as the Kool-Aid Man's. <laughs> yeah. I like the version of John St. John. Is that, is that his name? Not John. Yeah, the What's voice it? of him. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, so here it is. Uh, I, I have to give you kind of a prologue okay. before we get into it. Um, the year Scott is 1812. The year no. is, there's a war. You don't want to go back that far? No, not that far. Just the 1980s, the late 1980s. Uh, there's a man named Scott Miller. He is a video game pioneer. His kind of epiphany is he realized that video game fans don't want to pay uh, money for games they can get for free by just Shareware. pirating them. So, Oh, I'm yes. sorry, I jumped the gun. <laughs> so... He tests this wild idea called shareware that exists <laughs> elsewhere at the time. Um, and he, he tests down video games. Where did it uh, exist before that? It was used for, I think, like general washing software. Machines? Like, oh. No, like uh, spreadsheet type of stuff. Oh, know? yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you say general washing machine? Yeah, like you try and buy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he, his version was hey, you'll get a free chunk of this game. And then if you like it, you can uh, send us money and you can get the full version for free. Yeah, it was something very charming that like there would just be an address and you'd literally send them cash yeah. and you'd get the, like a disc in return. So it's like a demo. It was like a demo, but like yeah. imagine after playing a demo, you're like, oh, you like that? Well, get a stamp. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he calls his company Apogee and it makes, uh, it makes games, but also markets, and it publishes games using this model. So it's not just a developer, it's a publisher. But he was uh, the first one to do it. He was the first one to do it successfully, yeah. Okay. Um, so the company is doing a whole bunch of different work. If you, if you want to read a big thing on Apogee, I actually wrote a feature just about Scott Miller and Apogee. You can read it on polygon.com and learn all about the origins of shareware. But that's not what we're talking we'll about. We'll link today. that in the post. Well, in the doobly-doo. Um, so early on, uh, he is joined at Apogee by uh, creative designer George Broussard. Uh, and the two of them kind of turn Apogee into a very serious company. They publish um, some pretty big games that you probably know. Commander Keen, uh, Wolfenstein 3D. Um, in 1991, the, the team, they publish those games like, hey, we want to make our own game like Commander Keen. But we want to give the protagonist, like, personality. So they come up with the well, idea. Well, well, who doesn't? Uh, Commander Keen doesn't have personality. He's Keen. <laughs> He's a boy. They want to make a man. Yeah, So they come okay. up with Duke Nukem, a true man. <laughs> and, and they release a pair of platformers with this big man. Um, then <laughs> in 1994, uh, Apogee changes its name and its identity to 3D Realms. Because now it's like making 3D games. 
in Broussard is he sees uh, the success of Wolfenstein, which they published in Doom. He's like, hey, we need one of these 3D shooters. Uh, let's get that Duke Nukem character. And now let's make him even more of a personality. Like, it'll Do be you- like Doom, but he'll talk through it. And he'll, oh, like, well, let me ask you. So, like, in the first games, he didn't talk? <clears throat> uh, I believe there are some lines, but it's not, like, this kind of almost meta thing of Duke yeah, okay. Nukem 3D. Sure. Where, you know, the whole game... Did you get that health pack? He's very caring. He really (laughs) wants to make sure he saw that health pack. Um, But yeah, it's a mishmash of, like, every action movie character, like, or actor. There's, like, John Wayne in there. There's some Bruce Campbell. Um, There's some Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just all bravado, machismo. And in 1996, this Duke Nukem 3D is released. It is bloody it is raunchy uh it's all about interaction so like you can use the toilets you can go to a strip club and throw money at strippers um and you can like obviously just obliterate enemies and this might shock you but it turns out in 1996 that extreme gore and nudity are very popular with the type of people who like video games (laughs) and it becomes a very very big hit um so quiz time what is the most elaborate easter egg hidden in duke nukem 3d Uh, i feel like there'd be like the face of like john carmack hidden at the bottom of a toilet even more elaborate two faces (laughs) (laughs) i was also thinking it has to do with the toilet but i'm not sure what's more exciting than two faces in the toilet (laughs) so Two Face, the character Two Face in Toilet. Um, there was a designer named Richard Bailey Gray, and under the alias Level Lord, uh, oh, he left I've messages all over the map. Uh, things like "Dope Fish Lives," "Bite Me," "USS Frame Rate," and some of them you can't even get without like breaking the game essentially. And those ones yeah. are like, "Why are you here?" Video games were what a rebel. Spicy. Yeah. So do you think when he was at like a dinner party, he introduces himself as his real name or as Level Lord? What would you go by? <laughs> mm, uh, Richard Bailey Gray. It depends. Richard Bailey Gray sounds like a character in like an erotic novel. That's true. Mm. It could work for him. And then he Level go Lord into the... also does. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. Love Lord. I feel like he would go into the bathroom and write like, "Here, I'm gonna write it in real world too. I was here. <laughs> See if they can hack this." <laughs> I'm sorry, Level Lord. You're very nice. What a sweet boy. Okay, let's talk about Duke Nukem Forever because we got to get into like the real action here. Yeah. Uh, here, here's how it begins. Um, according to Nick Brecken, who now I, is not having to worry about being in the video games press, but at the time was uh, over at Shack News. Development began in 1996, and the very first version was a 2D, 3D side-scrolling game similar to Donkey Kong Country. Um, This idea gets nixed pretty much immediately, because Duke Nukem 3D is a hit. Sure. I'm like, hey, let's go that route. So a true sequel begins really early in 1997. Um... In April of 1997, the game is officially announced with a release date of the following year. I'm hanging a lantern Oof. on that because it's something <laughs> we'll return to. Well, do you um, know, out of curiosity, do you know how long it took them to make Duke Nukem 3D? Uh, I believe it was a, 
a little over a year and a half, I believe. Okay. So that's they began, that's, they began conversations ambitious. about it in 1994, and it shipped in 1996. And were they like, were they looking to use like the same engine for Duke Nukem so, forever? I'm glad you asked. Okay. They they had an engine for it. They had actually started developing for it, but a thing they realized pretty quickly was that the engine was out of da- out of date. They had used mm. it for Duke Nukem. It was also used in Shadow Warrior, Blood, Redneck Rampage. So not oh, yeah. the most famous engine in the world. Um, it's not quite fully 3D, and this is around the time of Quake 2, so it oh, is noticeable yeah. that it doesn't look good. They, they also have another engine option that they were using for a project called Prey, which I'll oh. also hang a lantern on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Prey uh, is supposed to be their kind of more like souped-up graphics showcase that they've been spending a lot of time on. So they're like, well, we're in a pickle. We can't use the engine we use for Duke Nukem 3D. It's not good enough. We can't use a Prey engine because that's really fancy. Um, and we're saving that for late 1998. We want to get this out soon. <clears throat> so Broussard licensed the Quake 2 engine, despite it costing, the estimate is a half million dollars, according Ugh. to a feature that was written on Wired. Wow. Um, August 1997, uh, still in really the first year of development, <clears throat> they released the first screenshots of the game to PC Gamer. One problem... They actually haven't re- received the code to make the game in Quake 2 yet, so they just m- basically modded mock-ups into the Quake 1 engine. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, not great. So that, that's what the screenshots were? Was just It was like qu- from Quake 1? Mm-hmm. And they just stuck Duke Nukem in Quake 1? Yeah, so, so already, <laughs> just for clarity, they were making the game originally as a 2D... 3D platformer. Then they were making the game in the old engine. Then they licensed a new engine but couldn't get it yet, so they modded parts of it into an old engine of the engine they were modding. Just for marketing this purposes. Confusing. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry. It gets much more complicated. Oh, good. Yay. Um, <laughs> so, early 1998. We're now a year in. Uh, it misses the release date of early 1998. By E3, around that spring, they show the first footage. It's finally in the Quake 2 engine. It features a pre-Alex Vance, like the sidekick in Half-Life 2-style sidekick. Her name is Bombshell. She Mm. will, surprisingly, one day get a video game of her own that people know existed. It actually came out like four years ago, three or four years ago, I think. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, Critics are mostly impressed with the game. Uh, but elsewhere in the industry, Epic Games, uh, has made the Unreal Engine. Now, did did either of you play Unreal back in the day? I did, yes. Like, Like, did you know Unreal? I was probably five. I I know (laughs) of it. (laughs) The, the idea with Unreal was, like, it had really big open spaces. Yeah. Um, where, like, Quake was, you know, kind of locked in these corridors, Unreal was in these huge open spaces, and... Uh, even though it showed really well at E3, they're like, hey, I know we've already done this before, but I think we need to switch engines. Let's switch to the Unreal Engine. This game is going to be set in Nevada near Las Vegas. Uh, It's going to have big open deserts. This is the right choice. So where is this money money coming from right now? Is this from income from from Duke Nukem? I'm glad you asked. They they have Mm -hmm. a publisher, which we'll get to. But they had made so much money off of Duke Nukem that Scott Miller and George Broussard decided to independently fund most of the game's development. Mm. Wow. So they're just like throwing money at the problem. Um, 
the the one issue with doing like these engine switches is engines the way a video game engine works to pull way back for people who aren't familiar with the term of a video game engine is think of like the tools and suites and uh almost like the structure that you can build your game inside of that makes it easier to build your game for your game to operate the mm-hmm. problem is you often have to customize the engine around the type of game you're making. Like the, the tools aren't going to have every single tool you need uh, for it to run smoothly. So when you're making a game in the Quake 2 engine, you're still customizing that engine around the needs of what your game will be. So when they throw an engine out, it's not like, oh, well, we're throwing out all the work we made. It's also throwing away all these custom tools that you designed just for that engine. So they're throwing out a lot of work not just like conceptual work for how the video game is made. And the publisher was cool with this? <clears throat> I guess well, if it's personally funded, it doesn't matter. Essentially, yeah. Um, according to Wikipedia, Brassard said that the game would not be, quote, significantly delayed by the Switch, but it, the project would be back to where it was at E3 within a month to six weeks. So the, what, what was shown at E3, it would be there in a month to six weeks. Uh, Broussard also th- said that no content seen in the e tra- E3 trailer would be lost. <clears throat> uh, this is according to uh, one of the programmers uh, in an interview with Wired. It was effectively a reboot of the project in many aspects. <laughs> so there's like Yeesh. conflicting uh, reports there. So now we're in the Unreal Engine version of this game. We are approaching two years out from the beginning of development, which at the time for a video game was... A long time. Yeah, that's for a crazy. Game to be in development. That time of year. Yeah, that that era. We're looking at like a year being like the max from a, a lot of games. Ugh. Yeah. The other thing that that's important to realize about this time is, video games are changing just at the most rapid pace that you can like picture. This is the beginning of 3D games, especially big 3D, big budget games. This is the shift from, like we've already seen, Wolfenstein to Doom to Quake to Unreal to Unreal Tournament. Uh, the industry is moving very, very, has, very has fast. Has Half-Life happened yet or no? Um, 1999. I, I'd have I to think look. it was I right think... around, Half-Life was I, right around there too. Yeah. Um, so Broussard at this point is, he, his, his way of like looking at what's happening in the industry is like, okay, we have to go big. So I, I see what's happening everywhere. We're, we're getting beat to the punch. We just have to go for it. So he scraps a ceiling in the 3D Realms offices so they can add a motion capture room into the offices. What? <clears throat> On the 3D Realms website, this is what he says, uh, it would help his team in rendering, quote, complex motions like strippers. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> in, 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 a, in a really great feature uh, by Clive Thompson over at Wired, which we'll reference a few times and definitely is worth reading, um, Thompson describes this point as basically like Broussard's treadmill because he wants the game to be on the best technology, but tech is moving so fast that his game essentially can't keep up. So he just keeps bouncing from one thing to the next, chasing after like whatever he sees that impresses him. Without sure. like a really clear goal of like what the what the game will look like when it's finished. Um, meanwhile, its publisher, uh, GT Interactive, this company handling the publishing rights and marketing, <clears throat> is itself running low on money and looking for a buyer or a merger or recapitalization. And Info- Infograms acquires a controlling interest in the company, and they're basically like, eh, "Thanks, but no thanks on this project." From what I can understand of this period, 
Um, and shortly after, the publishing rights get pushed to G.O.D., or Gathering of the Developers, or mm. God. Mm. Uh, God. It was a great time <laughs> in the video games industry. And um, previous rights and some future rights for the Duke Nukem series get sold to uh, Gathering of the Developers' parent company, Take-Two, who still exist. You, you know them as like yes. the publisher buying 2K, Rockstar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, quiz. Again, we're in like 98-ish. Around what time in all of this does Scott Miller start thinking about the name for Duke Nukem 5? The game that will follow Duke Nukem forever. What? The, the oh, name for it? These people yes. are... I don't know why these people were allowed to have jobs I don't and know. money. Oof. I mean, it must have happened right around that... Was it not right around that time? It's right now. 1999. It's now? <laughs> They, 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 have, they do not know when it will end, but... They don't have a game. In a public note, uh, Scott Miller wrote, I've been thinking about a name for Duke 5 for several years. Oh, my which God. Which is curious because Duke Nukem Forever has been in development for that same amount of time. And I have several very good candidates, which I will not reveal here because no. it's best if everyone thinks along their own lines rather than the direction I've been going. The name I must feel- have something... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Yeah. The name must have something to do with the number 5. Or have a play on the word five in some way. Like Woof. Duke Nukem Forever sounds like Duke Nukem 4. Oh. Be very creative. So if anyone has ideas, <laughs> post them here. By the way, this is capital letters, not a contest. <laughs> you never know when I might give away if someone has a great suggestion. Winky face, have fun. <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, uh, I am stunned to learn that Duke Nukem Forever's name comes from the fact that it was the fourth game. I never thought about that either. <laughs> that Wait, stu- and Duke Nukem 3D was the third. Oh, Chris Plant. Mm-hmm. They're and, far oh. smarter than I ever gave them credit for. <laughs> so, mind you, in, in a future post that uh, Brassard would publish in a Shack News forum, around the same time, Duke Nukem, for, Duke Nukem Forever didn't even have programmers yet. Oh <laughs> they got my God. them around 1999. Um, uh, can, well, I think I came up with a name, though. Ready? Yes. Duke Nukem a five. I was thinking a five, too. <laughs> so not well. alive, but a five. Were you thinking a five? I was thinking a five. Maybe he had to ask that early because it would take <sighs> years to come up with a suitable You pun. got one plant? Duke Nukem lives, but the S is a five. Oh. Or you could use the V in lives as a Roman numeral five. Oh, that's, that's good too. Or both. Both yeah. should yep. be fives. <laughs> okay. So that was 1999. We're, we're just trucking along. Now it's 2000. Time, time and money have no meaning. Yes. Um, in a 2000 press release, uh, 3D Realms mentions that Duke and Max Payne this will yeah. place you in where we're at in the history of video games will be released by 3D Realms by the end of 2001. Okay, yes. so it's it, this was said this, in 2000. This is 2000. So once again, we're getting a uh, hey in one more year. This game okay, is sure. ready. Sure. Um, kind of a George R. R. Martin this, situation. In this press release, Duke Nukem himself provides a comment. <gasps> What does he say? This is I I I should keep in mind this is an E-rated show, so keep it clean. Erase what I just said about shit. (laughs) (laughs) Great. This is what this is what he says. Chicks. Period. That's how it begins. 
chicks. Oh That's what I like about Mike and his good gig, said a smiling duke as he chomped on his cigar. It's nice to be hooked up with an organization with similar taste. Hail to the new king, baby. That's horrifying. Chicks. <laughs> you might be surprised to learn that uh, that's the last communication before 2001, at which point they announced the release date has changed to when it's done. <laughs> yeah, that's reasonable. Who is the so, old king? He's also the old king. Oh, both. He was both the new king and the <laughs> old king. He's, yep, he's the only king, baby. Okay. <laughs> okay, so now, now we're, we're moving on to a different time. 2001 they got it's, through the the dot-com bubble pretty good it seems like sure they yeah, that they exist it's e3 yeah. 2001 and they show a trailer the first uh-huh. showing in three years ign writes it up uh they claim that the game now has a 2002 release date um the idea of the game is duke travels to las vegas and saves the city of sin from an evil cyborg there are large is that a 3D quote environments. from the article? Out of, out of curiosity, is that a quote from the article? Because uh, the I city love of sin part is early two thousands uh, video game previews. Oh, I just... had to trim it down drastically because it was driving <laughs> me into just madness. Um, there are large three D environments, vehicles yep. like motorcycles, a Hummer, a jet ski, a donkey, a mine cart, and a fighter jet. Cool. And more interactivity. You can eat food from vending machines. You can shoot holes. Through walls and glass, and of course, strippers. Strippers. It's like yeah. always a bullet point. Anything you read about this game through all of its development, they make sure that like, and one more thing, a stripper. And those baby. twins. I appreciate and the twins. list of vehicles. I appreciate that on the list of vehicles they have donkey before fighter jet. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so at the studio, people felt like, hey. We are ahead of the competition. We did it. We went to E3, we showed a demo, and we didn't walk away from it being like, hey, we, we, we are behind the times. For the first time, they're like very confident, we are ahead of the times. That exact same summer, Gathering of Developers closes shop. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. takes on a full publishing role. The game misses its 2002 release date. And once again, largely disappears from uh, public entirely. But the fact that Gathering Developers like went away doesn't didn't impact the development, right? In theory, no. I, I think there are two things that are going on here, at least suggested from all of the the pieces that I read before this. There seemed to be a belief that there was a lack of clarity from the publisher. That's like one side's suggestion yeah. of this, and then the other side, the developer side, is that. Uh, Rossard just his ambitions continued to grow with the industry. So no matter what, even when he did get ahead of the industry, there was always more to do, uh, and never like a serious uh, push for a finish line. So much as like making the biggest in in his mind best product possible. Um, yeah. There is also one other reason. This is a quiz. What do you think the other reason is? What for the delay? Yep. Think about it. I've given you the answer okay, already. So it's early 2000s. Um, hmm. Heavy snow. 
Sure. <laughs> gave us the answer already. Um, I do want to say that we have very good soundproofing here at Vox Media headquarters, but Pedro's laugh was so loud that it burst through <laughs> after my answer for heavy snow. So I'm g- glad that I have a fan in the booth. Represent Pedro. Great. Appreciate it. Oh, like, do you have an answer? <laughs> I'm going to say that someone's got to run out of some kind of funding at some point. No, one of that, our boys. Maybe, but but think about think about what you know about the story. What's the one thing that would be most likely to cause this delay? Um, strippers? I was going to say the need for more strippers. No, the one other thing that is happens over and over again. Oh, a engine. new engine. Engine. New oh. engine, yeah. Strippers? This time so it's largely homemade. Um, Unreal is blamed in part for recent delays. And the team expands to roughly 30 to try to, like, gather around this new engine and get this game out the door, finally. But I thought it was at a good good place. That's what you thought, but they had to change the engine. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so now it's under take two, fully. Uh, it's 2003. The, the numbers are kind of up and down whenever you look on this game as to when it started bleeding people. It both ramped up and then pulled people away pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, so it's somewhere between 18 and 30 people are working on the game. Take Two CEO uh, Jeffrey Lupin says it won't be released this year, writing off five point five million dollars in earnings from the lengthy Oof. development. Ugh. Uh, Broussard takes to the forums. He goes <gasps> on the Shack News discussion board, and he says Take Two needs to STFU. Uh, he leaves multiple comments. I've collected some of the best. Uh, we don't want Take Two staying stupid. A things in public for the sole purpose of helping their stock that is actually the ceo's job yes Um, we do have to be transparent with their investors uh then he also said it's our time and our money we are spending on the game so either we're absolutely stupid and clueless or we believe in what we are working on and then he also said we'd find a new publisher so easily it isn't even funny (laughs) sounds like our president a little bit no, I think, uh, things oh are going God. great. We could we could have any any publisher would make this game for us. <laughs> this this was such a debacle that it's made its way all the way to CNN. Oh wow. no! What him posting on Jack News? Fighting? Yeah, it was not. Oh good. yeah, sure. Um, the same year, fittingly, the release estimate is bumped to late 2004, early 2005. So safe to say, the CEO of Take Two was uh, correct. Does he still have money at this, like, personal money from Duke Nukem? He because, still like, has plenty of money. Crazy. That's nuts a to me. a lot of money. The thing to remember about, um, about Duke Nukem 3D is it cost very little to make the game. Yeah, it was like a team then. of, like, three people. Let's yeah, say. and it was humongously popular, and it had tons of uh, expansions. Oh, so they, they contracted other developers to just make uh, expansions and then just got yeah. gobs of cash. So bigger strip clubs, <laughs> strip clubs in space. <laughs> here's here's where things just pretty much coast. It's just this period of like nothingness, basically, because they have no no staff essentially. Like they they're yeah they they're little little staff again. Video game studios have ramped up a lot over this time. Like teams are growing and growing, and they're still kind of making games as if it was the early night or mid nineteen nineties. Um, 2004 rumors of them switching to the Doom engine. This claim actually comes from uh, Take Two's new CEO, but Prasad denies it. This would There's be the rumors... Doom Three engine, I guess. Yes, in it would be Doom Three. Doom yeah. Three. Yep. Um, there are rumors that it will use a new physics engine that will surpass Half Life Two. 
There are rumors that it will appear at E3 2005. It does not. Um, Prey miraculously does. Uh, we mentioned Prey earlier. It is going through its own sorted development at this point. Um, after giving the game Vaporware of the Year Award for two years in a, in a row, <clears throat> Wired.com elevates it to a Lifetime Achievement Award. They're basically yeah. like, we can't keep putting this on this list. <laughs> this is too sad. Um, in 2006, uh, a demo is shown. It doesn't get much love from the press. It's, it's very bizarre. From things that I've seen on it, you could essentially send emails in the game's computers. Like yeah. You could do all sorts of weird interactive stuff. But this whole demo feels like a lost thing to the internet. Um, that same year, in an interview with Garnet Lee at 1UP, uh, old acquaintance of Fresh Stick and I, Broussard yep. says, uh, I think this is Duke Nukem Forever, will be out when pigs fly, but it's definitely going well now. Things are together. We're in full production. We're basically just pulling all the pieces together and making the game out of it. There's a lot that's finished. All the guns are finished. Most of the creatures are finished. And as I said, we're just basically pulling it all together and trying to make it fun. They've kind of got all these disassociated elements that make up a game. And you put them together and things happen. And then you just tweak it and polish it until it's fun. And that's oh, kind boy. of the phase we're in now. Just trying to make something that is really fun to play and also interesting. Um, now, I don't, I'm not a game developer. I, that's uh -huh. not my job. But my gut as a human being would be, if you're going to do that, you probably want to make it fun first and then make a bunch of creatures. <laughs> you just put yeah. some things together and it's <laughs> so, a game now. <laughs> the, the same year of that quote, Wired... Uh, they, they pull back on their statement. They do give Duke Nukem Forever the Vapor Wear Award again, despite it having a lifetime achievement. They essentially can't help themselves. Wired. Um, Typical. Stuff starts to get pretty hostile. We're now out of, out of that, that three-year cycle of just nothingness, and things are, things are getting a little heated now. Take-Two is kind of like, okay, <laughs> time <laughs> to ship this game. Um, this is from Wikipedia. Take-Two revealed they had negotiated the Duke Nukem Forever deal with a former publisher receiving $4.25 million instead of $6 million on release of the game, Take-Two offered a $5,000 bonus if Duke Nukem Forever was commercially released by December 31st, 2006. Rosario's response to that yeah. it is, we don't really care. We were never in it for the bonuses. <laughs> well, let me also say, oh, so that was $5,000 for each employee, I assume. $500,000 altogether. Oh, $500,000. Okay. Yeah. For everybody? Um, no, no. For them oh, in total. The, the problem okay. here is, this is, sure, maybe Broussard didn't care about the bonuses. The normal employees do. Right. Because they've been working on the same game forever, and their value at other companies is not great because they have not been developing their skills on new and released games. Yes. Um, so they were, they were counting on that as recouping their investment once the game shipped. Um, so the, the team, in no uncertain terms, gets smaller. Four people leave to go work at Gearbox, which is another studio in Texas that would go on to make Borderlands. Uh, in a story on Shaq News uh, by Chris Remo, he hints that a prey-like rebirth under a new developer supervised by 3D Realms may be a potential consideration, but descriptions from those close to Broussard suggest that he would be unlikely to approve such a direction. Uh, the context here is Prey, similar to Duke Nukem, was in development hell forever, and eventually it got pushed to a different developer called Human Head, and they finished and shipped the game. Um, Broussard responds to this, naturally, 
because it's on Shack News, and apparently he loves Shack News, <laughs> um, that physics and animation systems are virtually finished and shippable. Um, it's simply Still not saying that the game is fun. He's just it, saying sure. it has these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, 2007 comes around. Scott Miller claims the game is running, which is great. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it, it, but it happens to be running on a heavily modded version of Unreal. We're back, oh. baby. Oh my oh god. Oh my god. This is what Unreal 3 at this point probably. I, I don't even know which version this would be. Yeah. Um December 19th, 2007. Um just before the end of the year, they do it. They show the first trailer in 6 years to the public. <laughs> Yay. It does not appear at E3 2008. <laughs> oh. <laughs> in a statement I sort of on remember it. that. Yeah, I remember that trailer. It was not it was not amazing it was actually it was... designed for their holiday party from what i understand yeah and they're like okay. well, we have it let's publish it um sure when asked why it's not at e3 2008 after having shown a trailer the december before that scott midler says e3 is irrelevant okay so, yes it's e3 that's irrelevant in this conversation <laughs> hey now hey now um okay so now now I'm going to take you on the road to release. Spoilers, Yay. this game is going to get released. We are, we are 30 minutes into this. I would not lead you down this road for nothing. Um, they make a number of uh, big-name talent uh, hires. Uh, Lal Van Lierup, I believe is the pronunciation. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. Brian Hook, uh, Tremel Isaac join and help to move the game forward. Uh, they're all credited with being the kind of people who reign in Broussard mm. uh, and allow them to, like, Take us big ideas, which are are ambitious. Like for for the time, a lot of these ideas are very creative. They just need to like be shipped. Um, one problem: they are finally running low on money. Oh. After do you all know how much they spent at this point on development? Do you have a sense? Millions and millions. Obviously, um, yeah. It, I, it seems I, I, like I'm, they've blown way past what they would make from a publisher. <sighs> I I want this is a guess. So so take this with the biggest grain of salt. But my guess is it'd be around twenty million. Yeah, that's my guess. Just based on, and I'm only saying that I'm only making that guess it's purely speculative speculation off of like what they're about to ask for from Take Two, which is they ask Take Two for six million dollars. Oh, um, for, for how much longer? Over, what? Like, and, and when do they plan on finishing the game with that $6 million? Well, that's the problem. There are arguments that there is a counter of $2.5 million up front and two point five million after completion. Um, but it's un- there's like a lot of confusion over what actually happened here. Um, Broussard apparently rejected it, this, this deal, and sus- suspended development almost entirely. Take that. He will, he will later say not entirely. Um, Miller will agree with that. The, the, the development never fully ceased because the game existed in some capacity somewhere. But really, they're like, hey, if you're not going to give us all the money we need, we're putting this on ice. Um, and that's what happens. In 2009, 3D Realms downsizes for financial stability, cutting away the game's internal development team. Whoops. So there's not a development team. Um, Take Two, owner of the publishing rights, files a lawsuit over failure to finish development. Mm-hmm. The case is settled in May 2010, but details are undisclosed. Um, 
around this time, leaks start happening, screens, art, compilations of gameplay video. My guess is a lot of it was leaked because people probably wanted to be able to use it in their portfolios. Yeah. Because the game never got released. Um, Nine X employees continue developing the game from their homes. Uh, they become an just for studio. fun. Uh, well, I think to still hopefully get it released somehow. Okay. Um, they become an indie studio called Triptic Games, uh, and they are working in the same building as Gearbox, where some other former members of 3D Realms went. Um, 3D Realms asks Gearbox and Triptic Games to finish the PC game and to port it to consoles. And uh, Gearbox's CEO, Randy Pitchford, is pretty sympathetic to this. He actually worked briefly at 3D Realms, I believe, on Duke Nukem Forever. So he's like, yeah, we'll do that. We'll contract another studio, Piranha Games, to help with the port. We'll create multiplayer. We'll make a, a whole thing out of it. So September 3rd, 2010, 14 years into development, 2K announces the game is in development at Gearbox Software officially. Um, and they announced a release date of May 3rd, 2011, in the USA. Gearbox essentially purchases the Duke IP from 3D Realms. We're all set, and the game gets delayed one final time <laughs> to June 14th, 2011, because, of course, it could not just come out on, on its final release day. Um, it is ultimately released 15 years after it began development. Woof. Jeez. Want to hear some reviews? Uh, yeah. I can guess, but yeah, let's hear some reviews. So we got a 54 on Metacritic on PC. a 5. Out of 55? 54 <laughs> out of 100. A 5.8 user score that's out of 10. There are some surprising high scores. Um, it got an 80 from PC Gamer. Wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, the, top, the top image is Duke Nukem carrying two blonde women in schoolgirl outfits. While uh, like aiming his gun off screen, sure. Um, and there are some choice lines in it. My favorite being, like, <laughs> like a hyperviolent, oversexed Peter Pan, Duke Nukem refuses to grow up. <laughs> Peter Pan. <laughs> sure, hypersexed Peter Pan. <laughs> That's a game I'd rather play. He ain't using thimbles. <laughs> I like that they're like he refuses to grow up. So does Peter Pan. They must have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it ends with he may he may not be at the top of his game, but even after all this time, Duke still knows how to party. Amen. He does. Uh, um, Giant Bomb I think hits it a little better. Uh, if you're not willing to play a sloppy cobbled together first person shooter just because it has some kind of weird historical meaning, though, just forget this ever happened and move on. It's great in some ways that Duke Nukem Forever was released at all, but don't be confused into thinking that it's a great game. Two out of five. Yeah, that sounds about right. That seems about I, right. I, I remember playing it. Did you play it, Chris Plant, at all? Oh, of course. I think I actually reviewed it for the daily. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember playing like the beginning of it, and I remember thinking it was pretty impressive that you could pick up a whiteboard marker in the game and draw on a whiteboard. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, all I remember. That's the whole game. It's just full of weird interactivity stuff. And then just really trashy stuff. There's an entire level in a strip club that there's it's a, a non-combat level, and you have to find sex toys for the strippers or something. He gets like it's, shrunk down or something. Yeah, yeah it's, it was it was not good. It's it's a weird game. Um, 
after the release, uh, Randy Pitchford, the CEO of Gearbox, does an interview with Eurogamer. And this is uh, the question from Eurogamer is in the run up to the game's release, you compared Duke Nukem Forever to Half Life 2. Do you stand by that? It wasn't a PR thing. <laughs> and Randy Pitchford's response is I still stand by that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah wait wait wait, i'm gonna finish (laughs) when i played what 3d realms had been working on i was really surprised by it like everyone i thought who knows what the hell those guys were doing and here there was a lot of stuff it's almost identical beat for beat in terms of its gameplay pacing to (laughs) half-life wow yeah so half-life's very a very good game uh this was this was not randy is a born showman what can i say Mm -hmm. um this is finally a, a review from uh, January 7th of this year. Oh, wow. wow. This is on Steam from user. I won't say the user's name. <laughs> probably a good idea. Because that would probably not be good. The review is Duke Nukem's Titty City, my fave level, squinty face, and then the OK sign. And then... <laughs> It says hours played 133.9. <laughs> so uh, at least it found one fan. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Oh, I, I have I have one I have one piece of quiz for you before we wrap. Okay. What other project was caught in a similar battle, uh, a, a similar kind of scenario for Gearbox? So Gearbox had this this thing with uh. Duke Nukem and uh, Take Two and mm. 3D Realms. Gearbox had another uh, issue going on around the same time. Can you name that game? Uh, I don't. I know they've had struggles with the uh, war game that they were that franchise. Uh, Ban- it's not Band of Brothers, but it's like that. Uh, what was that? That World War Two strategy oh, game? Uh, I don't remember what that's yeah. called. Is that what you're talking so about? Not that. It is Aliens Colonial Marine. Oh, right. Oh. game that was similarly uh, stuck in Not development good. hell. Here's what, what, what unites all of this together. There was a time where it, it seems that 3D Realms was considering this, and then Gearbox was also considering making it, making a Duke Nukem prequel called Duke Begins, possibly oh. an origin story. Uh, Gearbox was rumored to revisit it after the release of Aliens Colonial Marines, but because that game got caught in its own development hell, it essentially never saw the light of day. Also, Duke Nukem Forever, like, probably didn't make money because no one, like, I don't think it did. Yeah, there's also that problem. (laughs) Um, I don't know the demand was there. Yeah. So, so that's it. I, I should give some thank yous really quick. Uh, like I said, Clive Thompson's Wired feature is great. Um, it actually ran before the game was ever published, so it kind of exists in an interesting moment in time. Um, Nick Brecken and Chris Remo's reporting over at Shack News, uh, Wikipedia, Garnet Lee, and of course, the forums at Shack News, which are a treasure trove <laughs> of quotes from people who worked at 3D Realms. Uh, I am extremely grateful for them. And that that's our show on Duke, Nuke, Duke Nukem Forever. What is... The, who did the voice of Duke Nukem Forever, Fresh? John, I think it was something John St. John or something like that. I'm sure it's on IMDb. It is. It is John St. John, but John, first name J-O-N, 
Yeah. Last name J O H N. Yeah, you gotta uh, switch it up. Yeah. <laughs> Good That's for all. Him. <laughs> um, thank you, Chris Plant. That was depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it was sad. Sorry. <gasps> right. uh, you can I play it. George, it's on Steam. You can play it right now. I'm sure it's a dollar on Steam. You no, know, it's 19.99. I was Whoa, gonna bold. play it before the episode. <laughs> They're Yo, still they trying need to make, to money. make they need to make money off of it. Yeah, they're not selling it for a dollar. Um, <laughs> do just did like um, a metal head jog of like, yeah, nineteen ninety nine. They got him. Do you think uh, George is doing okay now? <laughs> he 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 does a lot of I believe like indie game development stuff now. Okay, okay. Um, I, hope I, he's doing I, well. I yeah. remember following him on Twitter for a while, and he was doing like game jams. So he did have a cl- like a dream. Say what you will. That dream might have been disgustingly seedy and ended up being not the best game, but yeah. he did have a dream. I mean, I, I do, I do understand where both him <clears throat> and Randy Pitchford were coming from because, from what I understand of game development, often is like you do get locked in, right? Like you get your blinders on and you're in the zone. And imagine like being in the zone for 15 years. Like yeah. what that would feel like where you think that this is a game that people love and there was a time where it was a game people love and that by the time that it finally comes out, the entire world has changed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you just came out of the dream world of a Chris Nolan movie and the yeah. top is spinning or is it? Mm, interesting. <laughs> right? Peter Pan. <laughs> uh, Peter Pan. I want the oversex Peter Pan game. That's what I want now. Amen. Uh, thank you, Chris Plant. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you uh, to Allegra as well. Thanks. Uh, and thank you to everyone at home uh, for all your support for the History of Fun, uh, where we explore the hidden backstories behind the things you love to do. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Wait, wait, wait. Where can wait. people find us and leave reviews? Oh, that's a good idea. Go to Apple Podcasts and uh, rate us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, <laughs> and if you don't use Apple Podcasts, we're pretty much on every Google Play. We're on uh, Overcast if you use that app. Pretty much every app, Stitcher, you name it. Uh, just search History of Fun. You'll Wait, you already found it. But, uh, if, you're with, if you're sharing it with other people, they should know that it's pretty much on every podcasting app. But reviews and ratings on uh, Apple Podcasts also known as iTunes, are super useful uh, and very easy to do if you have an iPhone. You pretty much just like open the podcast app. It takes 30 seconds. So please do that. And uh, yes, goodbye.